You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Chapter 26, guests, my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. And we're going to continue in our series Uh, which we have titled God's Story of Creation to Restoration through the book of Genesis. If if you are a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and not particularly what I have to say. And so we uh, trust uh, in his word and we believe it is his uh, word holistically and good and right for our lives. So we come at this time uh, to submit our lives to it. Uh, We worship together through song and prayer but particularly through preaching of God's word. And so I pray that you engage this morning. If you don't have a Bible, you can grab one of those black hardcover Bibles in the pew in front of you and follow along on page 20 with us. My wife, Ashley, uh, loves art. Uh, She uh, took all the art classes in school. She uh, does all kinds of design, actually helps uh, our church with communications and different things like that. She uh, could draw something pretty easily. So Graham came to me the other day. He was like, hey, Daddy, can you draw a dinosaur? Uh, Well, son, I I can draw something that looks like a blob, but I can't really draw a dinosaur. So I try, you know, I make it look good and as best I can. And so I draw the dinosaur. Well, Ashley comes over. She draws a dinosaur. And if, if you were looking at my dinosaur, it was probably like a second grader drew it. And if she drew it, it was like an artist drew it. So she clearly is much more uh, able to draw than I am. So when I was a kid, I actually I used to love tracing uh, drawing. So I would like put down, you know, something that, that I liked and I would put a piece of paper over it and trace it. I could actually do that. I could actually follow the lines and then I can stay inside the lines when I color it too. I'm actually really good at that. But, but when I was thinking about tracing uh, those lines and those pictures, what we've been doing through the book of Genesis is tracing the promise. If you remember all the way back, this is a good review for any of you who haven't been here. We, we trace the promise of God all the way from Genesis chapter 3 through the rest of the Bible. We, we trace that God said there's going to be the seed of the woman, Eve, who's going to come and crush the head of the serpent. And it's now that promise that we trace through the book of Genesis. That's why Genesis was written. And so we come this morning remembering the promise, remembering that we're tracing that Moses, as the author, is tracing through Genesis when is the promise going to happen? And here's the thing. We've seen Abraham. We've seen Noah. We come to Isaac today. And there's potential for danger. There's potential for uh, tragedy. And so here's what we're going to say. We're going to walk through actually the whole chapter. But, but verses 1 through 6 are really important. That's why I wanted, wanted that to be read for us. Here's what we're going to see through the whole chapter this morning. Isaac is the true heir of promise who experienced God's faithfulness and blessing despite sin and conflict. Isaac is the true heir, and he's going to receive the promises of God despite of any uh, sin or opposition. Now, if you're a follower of Jesus today, if you walk in his ways and you've called on his name, what should you do today? What should you do? Well, It's not so much what we can do today, it's something that we should know. We can be assured of God's faithfulness despite the threat of sin or opposition. We have assurance in the promises of God. 
And you may be thinking, we've heard a lot about God's promises over the last few weeks. And yes, over and over and over again. I think Moses, I think the Lord understands that we need to be reminded of God's promises, that we need to be told over and over and over again of how great and good our God really is. And so we come to this story and we're going to be reminded of that same truth, that we can be assured of God's promises in one chapter. Isaac gets one chapter. It's the only chapter that he gets by himself. We saw Abraham for chapters. Isaac is the one now that that Moses centers on to remind us, though Isaac may face difficulty after difficulty, we will see God remain faithful. So this morning, as we walk through the passage, if you're taking notes, I want to highlight three threats, three threats, and we're going to go and throw those on the screen for you, three threats of, uh, of the promise here in this story, okay? And what we need to know is none of those threats can actually do anything against God's promises, But on the screen, you're going to see the hardship of famine, the heart of fear, and the hostility of opposition. Those three are going to be our main threats that Isaac is going to encounter in this passage. And as we walk through that, I want us to take note of three, or sorry, five lessons that we learn through these threats. So, threat number one, the hardship of famine. Look there at verse one with me. There was another famine in the land in addition to the one that occurred in Abraham's time. Moses wants to identify the same way with Abraham. Just like Abraham, now Isaac faces the same issue. He is the true heir of promise. But how, though? The question is presented, how is the promise going to be kept? Is is now Isaac going to have to leave the promised land because of the famine? Well, it says here, and Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines at Gerar. Now, if you remember, Abraham had dealings with Abimelech. Now, here's what you need to know. Abimelech must be a throne name. What that means is just like Pharaoh in Egypt, Abimelech is the name of the king in the Philistines. Okay, so it's not the same king that Abraham went to, but it is one of his sons, and it is the king of the Philistines. Verse 2, the Lord appeared to him and said, don't go down to Egypt. If you, if you learn anything about Abraham, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I tell you about. Stay in this land as an alien. And I will be with you and I will bless you. So God reaffirms his promise to Isaac. I know there's a famine. I know it's not great. I know it's difficult. I want you to stay here. And he provides instructions. He says, for I will. That should sound familiar to you. I will give all of these lands to you and your offspring. And I will confirm the oath that I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky. I will give your offspring all these lands and all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because Abraham listened to me. Let me pause for a second. When when God says Abraham listened to him, it's, it's hearkening back to Genesis 15, 6, that Abraham believed and God credited to him righteousness through faith. It's displayed, though, that faith is displayed in Abraham's obedience. And he says, and he kept my mandate, my commands, my statutes, and my instructions. And notice verse 6. So Isaac settled in Gerar. He simply responds with simple obedience. He stays in the famine, in the land. 
But this obedience is maybe simple, but it's not easy. It's difficult. He stays in the famine, one of the most harshest natural disasters that we can face is the hardship, in this hardship, that we learn our first lesson. Lesson number one, obedience is reacting to God's promises. Obedience is reacting to God's promises. Here's what I mean. The blessing of God should motivate us to obey him, right? We must remember that God has promised us to be with us. He has promised salvation. He's ultimately promised restoration from a broken world because of sin, right? We do not earn salvation in any way, shape, or form. We cannot do that. We do not obey to earn God's love either. We obey solely because we have received God's love and experienced his salvation. So obedience is reacting to God's promises. Now, if we're going to understand obedience and the following lessons in the story, we need to understand why God kept his promises. We need to understand why God kept his promises. Right, Abraham obeyed. I want you to know this here. Why is God going to keep his promises? Verse five, Abraham obeyed. And my promise to him, my oath, I'm going to confirm my oath to Abraham. Right, it's not on Isaac's righteousness. It's not on his obedience. It's based on the obedience of his father and the oath that God made to Abraham. He says this to Israel. God does multiple times. I'm going to keep my promise because of Abraham, of what I promised to Abraham, because of Abraham's faith. You see, Isaac's blessing that we're going to see here in just a few moments, it's not based on his obedience. It's based on Abraham's faith and God's promise to him. You see, we relate to that more than you know. Our salvation is not based on our obedience. It's based on the obedience of Jesus Christ. And that we get to experience the promise and blessing because of Jesus. We, we don't get to have salvation because we get to be obedient. No, we have salvation because Jesus Christ lived a perfect life, died on the cross, and was raised three days later. That's why we have obedience. That's why we can actually obey God now. And so Jesus, he actually ushers in a new covenant. God made a covenant with Abraham, but now Jesus finalizes the new covenant. One where he is the true offspring the true heir of the promise. He is the seed of the woman who has come to crush the head of the serpent. He experienced famine, temptation, opposition, yet he never sinned. It's he was our payment for our sins. It is his death and resurrection that now founds the new covenant, that we have forgiveness and reconciliation, salvation, that we have righteousness to be able to obey our, the promises of God is not based on our obedience. It's based on the obedience of Jesus Christ. And so we now get to experience God's promises and God's blessing. That one day, we won't just get a land as Isaac is going to get the land of Canaan. We will one day inherit the entire world as God's people. Or God makes it new again. But I want to pause and I want, I want you to consider something. Consider what Isaac does here. If obedience is reacting to God's promises, notice where this obedience lands Isaac. Right in the middle of a famine. No food, no water. Extremely difficult for him to provide for his family, to live at all. 
Church, I want to be very clear. We, just because something's hard does not mean it's not what God's doing. And for some reason, we think that if it's difficult, then, well, you know, that must not be what God wants for me. That's just not true. Because God, what he does, he says, look, I am going to provide for you. I'm going to be with you. That's what he just told Isaac. I'm going to do this based on my word. And sometimes that lands us in places that are very hard. But it should be reassuring to us that it's, it's God's presence that's with us. It's God's people who are with us that enable us to walk through these kinds of difficulties. I don't know if it's a job, if you work a difficult job. I don't know if it, you can't get a job. I, I don't know when it's hard when you have to leave family or consider being away from family. Maybe you have to endure your family. When, you have, when you've been sick, when you have to trust the Lord without a whole lot of information, things are difficult. But if they were easy, we wouldn't need God in the first place. You see, my high school football coach, you know, it's hot right now. And it was hot during two days when I was playing football. And he would say this all the time. If it wasn't hard, everyone would be doing it. If it wasn't hard, everyone would be doing it. And this is, saying, this is true of following Jesus. Sometimes that puts us in very difficult situations. Following Jesus doesn't make life easy. Following Jesus is obeying because of his promises. Whatever comes our way. Church family, God calls us to do hard things. And we're thankful that God is with us every step of the way. Are you going to trust his plan in the midst of all kinds of difficult circumstances? Isaac had to trust God because it would take a supernatural provision in the midst of extreme difficulty for him to survive. So Isaac's simple obedience is based solely on God's faithfulness. And now we will see God continue to be faithful despite sin, which it shows us the second. Remember the second threat, the heart of fear. Look there at verse 7. When the men of that place asked about his wife, he said, She's my sister. For he was afraid to save my wife, thinking the men of this place will kill me on account of Rebekah, for she is a beautiful woman. We've seen that before, right? Her Isaac is a chip off the old block. He commits the same sin his father does. He lies. He tries to deceive Abimelech's men. And notice why, though. Notice why Isaac lies. He's afraid. He's afraid for his life. Right? In that time, if a woman was not uh, not married, or if she was married, and, and if people wanted her, they could just go take her from Isaac and kill him in the process. But if she's his sister, then they, you know, they wouldn't necessarily have to kill him. So Isaac, he, he lies. Verse 8, when Isaac had been there for some time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from his window and was surprised to see Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. They're out there cuddling, and Abimelech sees them. Abimelech sent for Isaac and said, so she's really your wife. How could you say that she's my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might die on account of her. Abimelech's like, wait a second. You told me that she was your sister, but now he knows the truth. But how does Abimelech respond? Very interesting. He responds the way Isaac should have responded. Verse 10, then Abimelech said, what have you done to us? One of the people could have easily have slept with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech warned all the people, whoever harms this man or his wife will certainly be put to death. Abimelech knew of what God did in, to, to Egypt. 
in Genesis chapter 12. He knew what, what, what he did to his own people a previous generation ago. And so Abimelech says, I, he, warns, he warns everybody, stay away from Isaac and his wife. Actually protect them. You see, the irony is Isaac is supposed to be a blessing to the nations. And here, Isaac almost actually curses the nations because of his fear and his sin. Abimelech believed in God's power. He knew that God could strike them in any moment. But Isaac, he trusts him in a famine, but he doesn't trust him with his own life. He falls into the same sin that his father did, which brings us to our second lesson. Trust is resting in God's promises. Trust is resting in God's promises. Trust is the opposite of fear. Right? God has assured Isaac that he was with him, would, would protect him. But Isaac falls into that same sin that his father did. You see, church, sins are generational. Parents, especially dads, our children watch us and are tempted and struggle with the very same sins that we do. I'll give you an example. You can ask my wife. I am not a patient person. And we were, we were at the beach this week, and we were trying to get places, and we were running a little bit behind, and we sat behind a car. And there was a clear lane for that car to go. And I'm like, you should have went. And so I say, I say that out loud. Could have went, you know, and say, say some phrases. Well, what does my son do? What does my three-year-old do? Oh, daddy, they should go. And so now my son is repeating the kinds of phrases that are coming out of my mouth. And his impatience is because of my impatience. It may be a funny story, but it's true. My son is picking up on my frustration or my impatience. Sins are generational. I struggle with anger. My father did before me. And if I'm not careful, I will pass that on to my children. But when I trust God in Christ, I can rest in his promises and ask for forgiveness even from my children when I sin against them. Isaac's sin demonstrates his lack of trust. You see, parents, how are you breaking generational sins? Because we'll soon see here in a few chapters, right? Abraham lies and deceives. Isaac now has lied and deceived. We know, we know last week Jacob has already lied and deceived. It's going to become a family trait. Parents, what are you doing to break generational sins? One of the best things you can do is to be vulnerable, authentic, and honest, asking for forgiveness. Will we trust God enough to open up to our kids and ask for forgiveness? Or will we perpetuate sin after sin after sin? Isaac's sin demonstrated his lack of trust in God and how that sin could affect other people. But for those who trust God, they can fight any threat. They can fight any sin. Because it's that trust that enables us to rest in God's promises. That brings us to the third threat this morning. The third threat is the hostility of opposition. And the story now changes from with famine and struggle. And now look at verse 12. Isaac sowed seed in the land. Like I told you, it's been hot this week. I think of that all the time. It's been hot. All the time, no water, no food. So what is Isaac doing trying to sow seed in a famine? Nothing's going to grow here, buddy. Like, it's not going to work. But wait. 
And in that year of the famine, he reaped a hundred times what was sown. Famine is no match for God. The Lord blessed him. Verse 13, and the man became rich and kept getting richer until he was very wealthy. I want to pause for just a second and, and, and give us our third lesson. Blessing is received but not earned. Blessing is received but not earned. God can bless us with material wealth, but he doesn't have to. He doesn't have to do something that we, that we can receive, and so Isaac receives it. Right, and Moses is beating the drum over and over again. God is faithful, and we can be assured of his, of his promises. These blessings come despite us, despite any kind of opposition from the outside. We cannot earn God's blessing. It is given by his grace and his kindness. He showed his favor on Noah. He chose Abraham. God is gracious and kind to us. Isaac didn't do anything special to reap a hundred times what he sowed. And definitely not in a drought. You cannot earn God's blessing. But we can trust him in any circumstance, in any situation. Oh, we sing the song, it is well. Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well with my soul. Whatever comes our way, good, bad, difficulty, or prosperity, we can trust God. But notice what the outward and very clear blessing calls. Look at verse 14. He had flocks of sheep, herds of cattle, and many slaves, and the Philistines were envious of him. Philistines stopped up all the wells that his father's servants had dug in the days of his father Abraham, filling them with dirt. And Abimelech said to Isaac, leave us, for you are too much and too powerful for us. The, the Philistines saw this and they're envious. They want it. And so their envy caused them to oppose and quarrel with Isaac and his family. Right, so they go and they stop up the wells. They actually pour dirt into the wells so that Isaac cannot gather water from them anymore, which is very dangerous, number one. And number two, it's in a drought. So any water that they could have gotten, it now has made it extremely difficult. And look at Isaac's response. Verse 17, so Isaac left there, camped in Gerar in the valley and lived there. Isaac doesn't fight with them. He moves away from the conflict. Isaac reopened the wells that had been dug in the days of his father Abraham and that the Philistines had stopped up after Abraham died. He gave them the same names his father had given them. Right, so, so Isaac goes, he starts to reopen these wells and redig them, and he names them the same names so that the Philistines know, this is my well because of my father. And Isaac kept moving. Right, he kept... He kept doing what he needs to do. Verse 19, then Isaac's servants dug up the valley and found a well, a well of spring water there. That's living water. But the herdsmen of Gerar quarreled with Isaac's herdsmen and said, this water's ours. So he named the well Essek because they argued with him. Verse 21, they dug another well and quarreled over that one also. So he named it Sitna. Now Sitna means confrontation and conflict. So Isaac's now naming wells after the situations he's in. He moved from there and dug another, and they did not quarrel over it. He named it Rabaoth and said, For now the Lord has made space for us, and we will be fruitful in the land. Notice what's happened. Isaac goes and he digs another well. There's no quarreling. And where does Isaac give the praise to? He gives it to God. God has made space for us. He's made it possible for us. So Isaac had just kept moving a little bit at a time, staying in the land. His obedience to remain 
shows, it displays how God was continually with him, right? Divinely providing for him. He finds living water in a drought. It's just over and over and over again. God does these things for Isaac. God's blessing continued despite any opposition from the Philistines. From there, he went up to Beersheba and the Lord appeared to him. All right, so God has already told him about his covenant. Remember what I, I gave to you and your father. And he appeared to him that night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not be afraid for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your offspring because of my servant Abraham. Just in case Isaac was getting weary, just in case Isaac was tired of moving and digging wells, God shows up and assures him of his promises. We've all had times in which we've been reassured of God's promises. That we experience difficulty and hardship and conflict. And whether through God's scriptures or God's people or spirit, we're we're encouraged, reassured by his promises. Now, I want you to notice here what Isaac does, which brings us to our fourth lesson. Worship is responding to God's faithfulness. Worship is responding to God's faithfulness. There are all kinds of connections to Abraham, right? Beersheba is where Abraham worshiped before him. Isaac worships now as well, but this worship is in response to God's promises, what God has done and now what God has said. His worship is in response to blessing and the presence and what God is going to do, which is going to give him offspring in the land. And remember, just so we don't forget, what's the promise based on? It's based on Abraham, something outside of Isaac. In response to God's faithfulness, Isaac, in verse 25, so he built an altar there, called on the name of the Lord, and pitched his tent there. Isaac's servants also dug a well there. I want you to notice the four actions that Isaac does. Isaac builds an altar. This is where he would have sacrificed for the Lord, before the Lord. It was a place of worship. He calls on the name of the Lord, Yahweh, a personal, intimate relationship with God. Isaac pitched his tent. He lived there under God's blessing. God has provided in the midst of extreme difficulty. And what they do, they dug more wells. Right? They can continue to pursue life in that place that God had placed them. So here's the thing. You might not know what next step is for you. You might be thinking about what's God going to do. What you do is you live in the place that God has placed you. You be faithful to those people faithful to in your jobs, in your schools, in your everything, in every aspect, would be faithful. Why? Because of God's promises. And remember, we've been tracing that seed through Genesis. Right? I want you to notice the difference between the seed of the woman and the seed of, of Satan. Right? The seed of Satan has built cities and has tried to build a name for themselves. Remember Cain, the first seed of Satan. Kills his brother Abel, he wanders and he builds a city to make his, and he names it after his own son. Well, then we get to the Tower of Babel. They build a great city, they build a great tower to make their name great. But the people of God don't, don't build big cities and they don't make their own name great. The seed of God builds altars of worship and they live in tents. They live in tents. They're willing to go wherever God is calling them to go. They're more concerned with God's name than their own name. That's where worship starts. 
that we want to glorify God more than anything else. Every week, we put down the work of our hands, we pause, we rest, and we come here to call on the name of the Lord. We come into this space to worship through corporate singing and prayer, confessing sin, thanking God, asking God to do things. We hear God's word preached because we know that God has been faithful to his promises. This is how we know that God is faithful to his promises. Through his word and through his people. But church, we don't worship to gain God's favor. We worship God because he has already shown us favor in Jesus. Worship is what the people of God do. We glorify his name together. Now continue in verse 26. It seems now the famine is ending or has ended. Now Abimelech came to him, that's Isaac from Gerar, with Ahuzath, his advisor, and Pichol, the commander of his army. Now remember, Abraham had a similar experience with these, with these commanders and advisors. Isaac said to them, why have you come to me? You hated me and sent me away from you. Isaac said, hey, remember when you sent me away, you kept filling my wells up? Why are you coming to me now? They replied, we've clearly seen how the Lord has been with you. We think there should be an oath between two parties, between us and you. Let us make a covenant with you. You will not harm us just as we have not harmed you, but have done only what was good to you, sending you away in peace. You are now blessed by the Lord. So first of all, Abimelech and his men try to downplay what they've done to Isaac. You know, it's not that bad. We sent you away in peace. But what what Abimelech does is that him and his people, they notice God is with Isaac. We don't want to go up against him. If Isaac ever got the idea that he was going to attack us, we would lose because God is with him. They come to make a treaty, come to make an oath. They've clearly seen Isaac prosper. And notice Isaac's response. Verse 30. So he prepared a banquet for them. And they ate and they drank. I'm not sure about you, but I don't think I'd be offering them my food at that point. But because Isaac so trusted the promises of God, he says, you know what? You're welcomed in my house. You're actually welcomed at my table. Isaac truly does bless the nations here. He invites them in. Even though how much opposition had came, he invites them in. Verse 31, they got up early in the morning, swore an oath to each other. Isaac sent them on their way, and they left him in peace. Because the Lord was with Isaac and continued to bless him, he was going to thrive in the land no matter what. It didn't matter how much opposition came. It didn't matter how how many people came to fill up his wells. Because see, here's the thing. The Philistines could have come and filled up all the wells they wanted to over and over and over again. And what was God going to do? God was going to give Isaac another well. God was going to give him more water because God had promised Isaac that he was going to be with him. He was going to be there for him. Church, now, you may be in a season of spiritual drought. Maybe you've been struggling. I don't want you to miss this. Look at what Isaac did during that famine. He trusted God, stayed in the land but he went back to the, to the wells that his father had dug. He knew where to look for, for water. He knew where to look for life. Do you know where to look 
Are you trying to find life in something else other than God? If you don't know Jesus, let me be very honest, you're not going to ever find life. You will not be able to prosper because without Christ, you're walking in your own power. But if you are a believer, you are a disciple, and you're struggling, go to where life is. Life is not on social media. Life is not out in the world. Life is not out trying to fulfill yourself. Life is in God. Life is found in the scriptures through prayer and through the church. Life is found here in this, not not because of these walls, but because of these people. If you want to find life, then you have to go where life is and how God designed that. Isaac trusted God and kept moving forward and forward and forward. Isaac was focused on, on where he knew life was. Where do you believe life is? Because here's the thing. To sum up all of this, maybe in one final lesson. God is relentless in fulfilling his promises. God's relentless in fulfilling his promises. Look there at verse 32. On the same day, they've now left. Isaac is in peace. Isaac's servants came to him and tell him about the well they had dug, saying to him, we found water. They find more water. He called it Sheba. Therefore, the name of the city is still Beersheba today. Not only had Isaac made peace with the Philistines, God once again provided water for him. They couldn't take this well because now they have an oath and they live in peace. Isaac has moved from famine to life. God has kept his promises by protecting him, by providing for him, and being present with him. God is relentless in fulfilling his promises. Church, I want you to be assured, as this passage emphasizes, no, none of these, no threat can prevent God from fulfilling his promises in Jesus Christ. There is no threat that you will face. Isaac struggled with famine and opposition. Now, look, I in no way want to minimize our struggles or your struggles today. That's not what I want to do. But but what I want to do is I want to hold them up against God's promises. Right? Things like anxiety and depression and deep grief, any of our trials, none of them are so big that God cannot fulfill his promises. None of them are too big that God cannot bless us in the midst of those terrible tragedies. God may bless us with with physical, material wealth, or he may not. But what we do know is that God will, uh, will bless us with spiritual blessing, spiritual fruit. You see, Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 3, he says, And not only that, we also boast in our afflictions. Why? Because we know that affliction produces endurance, and endurance produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. It is this hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. It's in the midst of our difficult circumstances and trials. God is faithful to grow us, to provide a harvest, to provide a hundred times seed and reaping. That we, as people who were far away from God, has now been brought near to him. And now we get to express love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, and self-control. That we now get to be a harvest of God, that we get to display to the world, this is how God blesses his people. 
in the midst of deep struggle. Isaac struggled with sin. Isaac struggled with opposition. But remember, Isaac, he, he sins and he lies about his wife. Right? Even in the midst of our own sin, God is faithful to us. Take a step back for just a second. Because I know all of us in the room are struggling with sin. Maybe it's something that you've dealt with for years. Maybe it's something that you've not talked to anybody about. Maybe you've not confessed that. But here's the thing. Take a step back for a moment. Have have you sinned in such a way that you would actually jeopardize the promises of God? Because that's what Isaac did. If Isaac, he lied, he could have really hurt these people. God, he said, you're going to be a blessing. None of us have jeopardized God's plan. Isaac couldn't even jeopardize God's plan. So church, in in the midst of our sin, what we need to remember, what we need to think on is when we're tempted is that God's promises will be fulfilled. God is faithful. And we can trust him. We can obey. Maybe the most wonderful thing about this passage is that the promised blessing wasn't dependent on Isaac at all. It wasn't dependent on his righteousness or his ability. It was dependent on God's righteousness and God's ability to stay true to his word. God is faithful when we are faithless. Whether it's when we deal with opposition or sin. Our God keeps his promises. You say, say, how do you know that God keeps his promises? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, the seed of the woman was promised. And we know 2,000 years ago, that seed, that son... The true heir was Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, without sin, who came and lived a perfect life, who was faithful and obedient despite every kind of trial and circumstance. Our promises from God are based on the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And church, I have nothing else to offer you. I don't have ways to to fix and and make things better. The only thing that I have to offer you is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which is received by faith through grace. So maybe, maybe you're not a believer today. Jesus Christ came to, to die for your sins in your place. And now offers that, that you could trust, be assured in his promises because of who Jesus Christ is. Church, may we rest in that. Only in Jesus. Not our righteousness, not our obedience, not the way that we think it should be done, but we trust God no matter what comes. Would you pray with me? God, I ask that you would make us a people who trust because we are assured of your promises. God, I ask that we would We would fight sin together because we trust in your promises? Would we endure any kind of trials together because of your promises? Would we help one another walk faithfully, walk obediently because of Jesus Christ? God, we are extremely grateful and thankful for all that you've done, that you kept your promises, that you're going to keep your promises. And that one day we will experience a salvation fully glorified, fully sanctified with you. And so God, we ask that you would help us remember that day that you will 
keep your promises. We ask this in the name of Jesus and by your spirit. Amen.